1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Peter chapter 1. And there's going to be a lot of scripture. I uh, don't see any of the ushers in here. That's okay. Board members would just jump. Or Den Pastor Denny would jump up. It, I want to encourage you to keep notes every week, obviously, but especially this week. And in your bulletin, is uh, we put those note cards in there. Uh, Dominic's the man of the bulletin. I just love him. He is such a blessing to me. He puts those together. Um, and in there is a note card for you to keep notes. Also, we have pens, so wave at Pastor Denny. He'll get that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 1. And so my goal today is to finish this two-part message titled, Everything is Permissible. And we're exposing the lies about grace and freedom and faith and holiness. Again, let me just share with you that the title comes from the scripture that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Where Paul states, everything is permissible. For me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So again, let me remind you of a couple things about this scripture alone. Remember that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here. And what he's doing is addressing these erroneous views that they're, that's, you know, populating through the church, the Corinthian church, that everything is permissible. You can do whatever you want to. Because notice in the scripture here, he's using the quotes. The quote marks, everything is permissible for me, end quote, is what they're saying. His instructions, his corrections comes in the but statements after. But, but not everything is beneficial. You're saying everything is permissible for me, but he's saying, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, we've all at one time or another heard Christians quote these, this scripture for their claim to do whatever they want to. Well, it's stated in the Bible. Everything's permissible for me. Paul said that. But here, remember, Paul is confronting that this is a wrong statement or a careful statement. Consider carefully, if you want to make that statement, consider carefully these two things. And then he goes on to say the first one. Ask yourself, is it beneficial? Sure, everything is permissible for me, fine. But just ask yourself, is it beneficial? Does it add a positive value to you, to your family, and to your Christian witness? And then ask yourself also, could it possibly cause you or somebody else to become enslaved again? If you do it, sure, everything's permissible, but if somebody watches you do that one thing, could they then say, well, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And could it possibly lead them to become enslaved? Remember that. The warning that Jesus says, if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, to fall. What does he say? Boy, it's better for you to throw a, tie a great big millstone. He's a great big boulder and tie it around your neck and throw it into the deepest sea for you. Think about it. That's a father's heart saying that. Mama bear here in me says you can do whatever you want to to me. 
But it's going to be better for you to go drown yourself than to face Mama Bear if you hurt one of my kids. That's God's father heart there. Don't do anything that could cause somebody else to stumble. Think about it. Is it beneficial? Could it add positive value? Could it cause somebody else to become enslaved? Last week we focused on the, the lies about grace and freedom and, and we were clear on the truth there behind the two. And so today, and if you didn't hear that one, uh, get the podcast, listen to the podcast or get the CDs. And today I want to focus on faith and holiness. Everything is permissible for me. Exposing the lie behind holiness. In order to understand what holiness is, I think we first need to look at what holiness is not. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is not gained through your works. Holiness is not so that you can be better than. Holiness is not a pauper's lifestyle. Oh, I'm so holy. Oh. Holiness is not for just some Christians. Well, that's for Pastor Neil, not me. Holiness is not impossible to live. Webster's Dictionary of the 1800s describes holiness as purity of heart, integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, and sanctified affections. Well, let me just encourage you, holiness will not happen by accident in your life. It is a determined lifestyle in which all Christians are commanded, called, encouraged strongly. They're required to live. Be holy as I am holy. He didn't say if you feel like it. Or only on Sundays. Let's read together. First Peter chapter one. And I've preached this one and preached this one. I sorry, it's probably because my Bible is you know, the bind is just kinda falls open to this chapter. Because I, I keep going back to it. I keep going back to just these few verses. So let's read them together. First Peter chapter one, starting with verse thirteen. Therefore, remember, whenever you see the word therefore, he's just, he's just giving you a download of information. And because you know this, now this is what you need to do. So I encourage you to go back. I just don't have time to go back and read that to you. But he's talking about there's a living hope because heaven is coming. Because the end of times is, all ne- is really ne- Therefore... Because I can come back at any time. Are you ready? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I ask right now that you open our ears to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive your word. And open us up, oh God, to be doers of your word and not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. And reading these few scriptures here, you'll notice that there's six specific things that it calls us, the word is calling us, to continue to do in order to walk in holiness. The first thing, which I've preached a hundred times or more before, is prepare your mind for action. You can't go into a battle without preparing your mind for action. Even David, before he confronted Goliath, what did he do? I'm sorry, what? What is that guy saying about God? I, I'm sorry. What's he doing? Why are all you guys hiding back here? He was preparing his mind for action. And then when he even went in, Saul's like, okay, come on. If you're going to do this here, let me put all this arm out. And he's like, you know what? The same God that delivered me from the lion and delivered me from the bear can surely handle this guy. He was preparing his mind for action. You don't just happenstance la, 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 and go into the battlefield and oh, by accident, your eminent enemy falls down. Preparing your mind for action so that when you stand upon the battlefield, God goes before you. But if you haven't already thought, God said he'll go before me and he'll take care of my enemy for me. I just have to stand. When you've done all else, stand. That he'll be my rear guard. That means I can continue to move forward. Preparing your mind for action. It all starts there. You have to set your mind to it beforehand. Because it's an act of your will. It encourages your will to move forward. To be secured like an anchor in God. It's your choice. Ellen G. White she was uh, in the 1800s. She's the author of Steps to Christ. Said it this way. God has not left us to battle with our evil in our finite strength. Whatever may be our inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrong, we can overcome through the power that he is ready to impart to us. But why do you need the power if you're not moving forward? You don't need it. See, in our culture today, we want to set until we feel the power. God said, you don't need the power if you're just sitting there. You don't need gasoline in your vehicle if it's parked in your driveway. You need gasoline when you're going somewhere. 
He's not going to impart strength and power to you if you're not going anywhere. She goes on to say the tempted one needs to understand the true force of the will, the mind. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision, the power of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Desires for goodness and purity are right so far as they go. But if we stop here, they avail nothing. Many will go down to ruin while hoping and desiring to overcome their evil propensities. They do not yield the will, their will, to God. They do not choose to serve him fully. God has given us the power of choice. It is ours to exercise. We cannot change our hearts. We cannot control what thoughts pop in our heads, our impulses, our affections. We cannot make ourselves pure or fit for God's service. But we can choose to serve God. We can choose to surrender our will to him. Then, according to Philippians 2.13... God will work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Thus, our whole nature will be brought under the control of Christ. By yielding up the will to Christ, we ally ourselves with the divine power. We receive strength from above to hold us steadfast. A pure and noble life, a life of victory over appetite and lust, a holy life is possible to everyone who will unite his weak, wavering human will to the omnipotent, unwavering will of God. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, man's will becomes God's will. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his, capital H, strength. All his biddings are then enablings. Everything good in men and women is the fruit of the working of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit teaches us and works holiness out in our lives, out of our lives, out through our lives. Those who are willing to do this can then say, yes, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and through me. So the first thing is set your mind, prepare your mind for action. The second, second he's encouraging us to be holy in all we do, not just on Sundays. To be holy in all you do. Within the definition of holiness, remember, is integrity of moral character. Which literally means to be pure throughout. When you talk about a building, the first thing they ask is, is it, what's its structural integrity? Is it strong throughout? You know, you're only, well, they say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Moral integrity, is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Moral integrity is a strength throughout. Structurally strong. You can't live a compartmentalized lifestyle. 
That is not, that is like an oxymoron in the mouth of a Christian. You can't compartmentalize your Christian life, your work life, your family life, your fun life. Your, you can't. And as a matter of fact, I mean, if I was to write my own dictionary, which, you know, would be probably about this thick. Anyway, it would be a sticky note length right there, my dictionary. So you guys would read it. But anyway, if I had to break down the word compartmentalize, look at the word. You'll come apart mentally. Oh, you will. Come on. That's good. Amen. Let's go home. You can't compartmentalize God. That's just, that just, how can you take an all-powerful creator of the universe and say, you know what, um, you're big enough, but I'm going to stick you over here Sundays between this hour and a half. You try to do that and you will come apart mentally. Second Peter 1.3 says, his, his divine power has given you everything you need to live a godly life. Did you notice he did not say, I have given you, or you have in yourself, everything you need. He says, I have given you my strength in you. will give you everything you need to live a godly life. And so it erases all excuses. The third thing, live your lives at here as strangers. The complete Jewish Bible translation says in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents not to give in to the desires of your old nature, which keep warring against you. Aliens and temporary residents. I like that. And Paul warns the Philippian church to beware of who he calls enemies of the cross. In Philippians 3.19, he says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Whatever I want, I can have. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on only earthly things. Enemies of the cross. But he goes into verse 20 and says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven. That's your home. That's your home. Not this. This is just where you're doing life. Doing life to prepare for eternal life. Do you understand that everything you do here, and I, and I hate to say it because some people have taken this way to the extreme and and swung the pendulum wrong. But everything here is like the testing ground of purity and, you know, walking it out. But don't ever forget the, the reason, number one reason for you to still have breath in your lungs is so others may hear and know that there is an eternal home for them in heaven. So if you're a Christian, you have breath in your lungs, you have a mission. And if you're doing anything else that sets a priority over that, it's wrong. You have a job so that you can... Have the money to go tell other people that, you know, Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? 
You have a family. Why? Because you're raising up the next generations to go and tell the other people that, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, everything you do, don't set your mind. Don't set your, your thoughts. Don't set your desires on this world. Live as aliens and temporary residents. The next one is live your new life. Wait a minute. I think I just jumped something. I did. Sorry. Back up. Rewind. Proverb. He's, the next thing is he says live in reverent fear. Live in reverent fear. Now this is not talking about a fear I'm scared. I scared. I scared. No. Reverent fear means that you honor the one that you stand before. Uh, earthly reverent fear, kind of like what Amy was saying, would be that um, if you're in a courtroom and the little guy in the suit comes out and says, you know, here comes in judge, the honorable judge so-and-so, all rise. Reverent fear says you better rise or you're going to jail. Reverent fear just says yes, amen, and stands up. Reverent fear means when the cop behind you flashes the light, you pull over. Reverent fear. It's not a, but if you're not doing anything wrong, remember fear is a fear of punishment. That there's something, you know, so reverent fear means that, um, let me try to hear the Brenda dictionary again, okay. Reverent fear of God. Is I love you so much, I don't want to hurt your heart. You gave so much for me, I don't want to do anything to hurt you, God. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you start thinking like that, God, you gave so much. My heart is yours. That's living in a reverent fear. And that's where true wisdom begins. Remember what we read in 1 Peter 1.17. It says, since we call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Did you notice that? He didn't say heart there. He said, your work, what you do is just as important as what you believe. He's judging your work. What did you do? Remember even with the talents and the minas. You know, he didn't ask the guys, so what was in your heart when you were, you know, when I asked you to go invest my money or here's some money, go do, what was in your heart? No, he said, show me the money. Right? Let me see, what did you produce out of what I gave you? We're all going to stand before God. So he says, since you know that you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, and you know that it was not with perishable gold and silver things that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of his one and only son. Live in reverent fear, he says. Because if you want to go ahead and believe that your good works, as long as you do more good than bad, that there's going to be this grand scale in heaven. Well, let me just assure you that if you think that's the measuring uh, bar, then throw all your good works on this side. But what will be in this one is the blood of Christ. Can your good line up with the blood of Christ? Since you know that you will be judged impartially. 
and I've said this often, are you living your life in such a way that your life brings honor to the sacrifice that was made for you? The next one is live your new life. He didn't say dual life. He said live your new life. Verse 18 says, you were, past tense, redeemed from, not while you continue to live in. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life on human evil desires, but rather for the will of God. That's 1 Peter 4. You were, you were, you were, past tense, redeemed from your old life. So he says, live your new life. I said it last week, if you gave all you had to purchase or to pay the bail for somebody to get out of jail, and the minute they got out, they ran back to their old lifestyle, what would you think? What would you feel? What would you do? That's why God over and over again says, stop going back. The dog returns to his vomit, doesn't it? Why do they do that? I don't know. Says a pig, you can clean him up, but where's he going to end up? Back in the mud. He's trying to tell us, stop doing that. I've been, you've been redeemed from. Don't go back to your old lives. Live your new life. Ephesians 4.24, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4. Your new life was created to be like God. And then the last point in this scripture is set your faith and hope in God. Galatians 2.20 and 21 I have been crucified with Christ. Here it is again. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And he said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness, if holiness, righteousness, could be attained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You can't do this on your own. You can't walk in holiness. You can't live in holiness on your own. Do you have a responsibility? Yes. Yes. But his power has given you everything you need to walk this out. He said, I live by faith in the Son of God. And here's where I want to camp for the remaining time. Uh, at the core of holiness is faith in the Holy One. His grace, His strength, His power, His promises. Faith and holiness must work together like grace and freedom. Faith must be walked out in our daily life choices to be holy as God is holy. The same way grace propels and yet controls our boundaries in freedom. They have to work together. Faith and holiness. Otherwise, if it's holiness apart from faith, then it's you're walking it out and living according to the law. 
You're trying to become holy on your own merit. You need faith and holiness. Faith is truth. Trusting in truth. God is truth. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's nothing else. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Again, here's... Uh, Oh, I was talking about a dictionary. Here, if I wrote my own translation of the Bible, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence, the title deed, and what we hope for of where our hope lies, and assurance, a guarantee, about what we do not see, about what we have not yet attained. So PBT, the Pastor Brenda translation, would say, Faith is... The title deed guaranteeing what we have been promised. Faith is the title deed guaranteeing what we've been promised. You need that in order to walk it out. It would be like me walking into the house across the street and just saying, I've been promised this, it's mine. What would he say? Where's your paperwork? Right? Walking onto a car lot and getting in that nice new car and saying, this is mine. They'll say, uh, who owns the title? Faith is the title deed that guarantees what you've been promised by God. Everything is permissible. Exposing the lie behind faith. Here's the biggest lie of faith. Faith is an inner belief and not a concrete action. Again, that's the lie. Oh, God, everything is permissible because God knows my heart. Have you heard that one before? Oh, everything is permissible. It's okay. It's all right because, well, I'm a Christian. I believe. That's a lie. From the pits of hell, that's a lie. Go home and read James 2. I mean, we've hashed that one and rehashed that one. The faith without actions is dead and useless. You can't just say something. I mean, that's like the abusive husband who keeps slapping the wife and then crying, I love you. I love you. What? You know, I got a couple warnings even in worship. And, you know, I'm real careful. Just because I hear God speaking something that I, you know, I weigh it carefully. God, is this just a word for me or is it, am I supposed to speak it out? Um, so I kept my mouth shut because I thought, oh, God, this might just be for me. But let me just encourage you as well that God says your, their lips are always saying praise him, praise him. But their lives are saying who? Him? Who? Him? Faith and actions must walk together. And let me just encourage you, as we get ready to close, I'm going to wrap this up. But there's some heavy things in these last few minutes, so I want you to stay plugged in here. If you don't take a step of faith, you're never going to see the miracle. Remember, all the disciples stayed in the boat. Only one stepped out. And who had the miracle? 
Peter did. Why? Because he stepped out. When the Israelites were crossing the Red Sea, when did the miracle take place? When they stepped in the water. Faith has to, has to have actions. Has to, it demands action. Don't be afraid to fail. Keep trusting and keep believing. I, I have people ask me this all the time, and I just confessed to our at staff meeting last Wednesday. I still battle with, God, is this you? Is it me? Is it you? Is it me? Is it you? Is it me? I still battle with that all the time. But I have resolved, and I told them something that I had been holding on to. Why? Because I was just afraid to end up look, that it wouldn't happen and I'd look like a fool. But I've resolved to be a fool for Christ. So if they come back two years from now, three years from now, and say, well, see, that never happened, say, well, I tried. You know, but I don't want to be camped on this side of the promised land any longer. I've resolved I'm going to put my foot in the water. You will never see the miracle if you don't take that step of faith. And here's a key point to all of this. Key point to all of this. What you think is what you'll believe, which in turn is what you will receive. What you think is what you'll believe, and in turn it will be what you receive. So I want to challenge you as we close right now. I'm going to jump over all this. I want you to expose the deception of the enemy in your mind today. So as we're just calming our heart down and letting God start to speak to us. If there's something you've been praying about a healing or uh, you need freedom from or whatever you've been believing for I want you right now with your eyes closed heads bowed I want you to answer this question what have I been believing that's kept me from receiving If you haven't seen the, the, the healing yet in your body that you're believing God for, what is there something you're believing that's keeping you from receiving? You know, if we go back just a few years from here, during the great uh, healing crusades, when they were seeing miracle after miracle after miracle healing, just, I mean, they didn't even have to put a hand on somebody. They were just receiving same thing with going into a third world country and you pray for somebody there and immediate healing, immediate healing. Why does it happen? Why did it happen then? Why does it happen there and not here? Because they had no other option. Third world countries, they don't have doctors at their beck and call. They don't have medicine. They don't have prescription. They don't, they don't have any other option. God is their only option. John G. Lake recounts story after story where him and his family found themselves without money, without food. And at the last possible second, they would get the money or they would receive the food. Why? Because there was no other option. He didn't hang a sign around his neck that says, we'll work for food. There was no other option. It had to be God or they'd go out. 
But see, that's a deception of the enemy. That he's come in and he will entertain your thoughts with all the vast resources of this world that you have so many other options. You really don't need God to heal you, to deliver you, to set you free, to fix your marriage. Because, well, I can go here, I can go there, or so-and-so, or I'll just live with it. I want you to expose what have you been thinking in your mind that you've been believing that has kept you from receiving. Remember, faith is the title deed guaranteeing what we've been promised. Have you been promised healing? Have you been promised healing? Did Jesus come for all to be healed? Yes. Yes. Faith is setting your hope in God. You said it. I believe it. That was the word for today. All your promises are yes and amen. Not, well, it's for some, but not for you. No, it's yes. Does God want you to be healed? Yes. If you're believing anything else, it's a lie. Does he want you to be set free? Yes, he came to redeem you from all sin. It's not something for you to carry on your own. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see God. So can I get you to stand right where you're at? I think in order to wrap up this series, remember Paul said, if you want to live, that everything is permissible, then please just consider these two things. Number one, is it beneficial? Does it add positive value to you, your family, your Christian witness? And to consider, could it possibly cause you to be enslaved again or cause somebody else to become enslaved again? If you really want to even go a little bit deeper, I laid out a few more things. When you're starting to, because sometimes even trying to think, is it beneficial? Well, we can sometimes reason what we think is beneficial or not. First, find out what does the Bible clearly teach about this? And beware of anything that makes you reason apart from God's word. Beware of anything that causes you to reason apart from God's word. Does it make you look more like Jesus or more like the world? Can you see Jesus doing this thing? Motive. What inside you makes you want to do this thing? Your spirit or your flesh? Do you feel conviction? A hesitation inside about doing this. And then the last thing, what will be the result of doing this? The adding benefit, what could be, could it add positive value? What is the result of doing this? Could it possibly slander the name of Christ? 
So I'm going to ask you, um, and Pastor Neil and I are going to have to run out during the altar time, but there's a huge prayer team here that needs um, or that wants to pray for you and your needs. I want you to come up. I want you to lay out and expose if there's if you're not receiving a healing or a, a breakthrough of, of your giant that you're standing before whatever it is, come up and get prayed for. Remember God gives grace to the humble, but it says he opposes the proud. Do you understand that that word opposes means to stand in opposition against? If you want to stand in pride and say, I'll take care of this myself, God doesn't just cross his arms and stand there and says, well, I'll wait to see what happens. No, he takes up an offensive line against you. Opposes the proud. An offensive line against you because he knows that was the first greatest sin in heaven was pride and he doesn't deal lightly with it he takes his he takes an offensive stand actually an, an offensive line doesn't take a defensive stand they go against so that word there would literally mean move toward an opposition against, an offensive line moves forward. God then doesn't just stand back and cross his arms and go, oh, well, you're missing out. He hates pride so much that he takes an offensive line against it. It can't be in your life. And remember, you can't... It, sorry. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another, then you will be healed. You can't set in, in your sin and, oh God, I'll take care of this myself. Then you will be healed is when you confess your sins one to another. What are they, they going to think? Who cares? Who cares? I mean, I stand up here and make a fool of myself every week. I tell you things that I shouldn't probably tell you. So I stay humble. I don't want to be puffed up. Why? For what reason? What benefit is that? So let's just pray. Let's close. God, you, you search and know our every thought, every motive of our heart, God. You know when pride is trying to creep in our life and you have promised that you will take an offensive, offensive, opposing uh, stand against it. You don't want it in our life, not just because you didn't like it, but because it's no good for us. And we're your children, God. You want it out of our lives. And grace stands and waits for us to humble ourselves, and then we'll receive your grace. When we confess to one another, then we will be healed. Thank you, God. So I want to leave you with this. I ask a prayer team to come up and start just preparing themselves to start praying for people. One, I want you... Oh, hold on a second. I, yeah, no, prayer team, keep coming up. I had a dream last night. And when I was doing my devotions this morning, um, which is why I have the sticky note here, I felt like it was a warning for the church quickly 
Um, I'll just tell you the one part of it. As I was in a house with a big glass sliding door. And on the railing of the deck was this roaring, ugly, ugly lion. And he was walking on the railing of this deck, growling and, I mean, like foaming at the mouth type. I mean, it was nasty looking, not like a beautiful lion of Judah lion. Horrible, horrible. And I was standing inside the house looking through the sliding glass door. And I saw someone standing. And I, and I saw the person's face. I knew the person was a Christian. I knew the person was a longtime Christian. But they were standing on the deck. And I kept crying out, Come inside! What are you doing? Come inside! Come inside! And they were walking just closer and closer to that growling, roaring lion. And I kept screaming, Come inside! Get away from him! Come inside! And I woke up. But during my devotions this morning, God brought that part of that dream back to my mind. And he said, too many Christians are walking in the face of danger and thinking they're untouchable. But safety is only in my house. In me. In God. Just because you come to church does not mean that you're in God. We're playing around with sin and it's time to stop. We keep crying for revival and revival will not come without holiness. God's people walking in holiness. Having our faith anchored in Him, living in Him. And that was another word that I got when um, during worship. As I could see myself tucked up underneath the robe of God under his arm and screaming out get in here get in here hurry get ready he's coming soon see we have to remain in him our protection is in him Father, we thank you for this time. God, I ask right now you begin drawing the people, drawing the people, drawing their hearts. Lord, repentance, repentance, repentance. God, we cry out, forgive us, Lord, that we've been playing around with sin way too long, way too long. And if that's you at any time, just come up front, come up front. I don't need to call it out what you're doing or what you need prayer for. This is it. We're closing so that you can then just have this time with God. But God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, God, for playing around with sin. Forgive us for walking so close to danger, Lord. Forgive us for being built up with pride like we can actually gain this holiness or righteousness apart from you. God, forgive us. Forgive us. We humble ourselves before you right now, God. God, have your way right now. Have your way, have your way, have your way. If you're here today and you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, come up front, come up front, come on. Today's your day. Don't wait another day. Mm. 
really believe the last few days we've had a we've been inundated with people with back pains um, back problems and we believe that's the word for this morning that if you've had back problems back pain of any sort that your healing is here today we have testimonies that God was quick to heal quick to heal other people's back pains and what he's done for one he'll do for the other so quickly if that's you come up front let's get prayed for let's get healing now now whatever it is Amy if you could just lead us in worship what I'm gonna do is just keep the altars open I think there is just so much right now I, I believe that you just need time to just receive All his strength, all his power is all that you need. I'm 
For my 